Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Jim Kawakami. Jim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Very glad to have back on. Familiar faces, familiar voices, although we're not actually seeing David's face right now. Just his voice, he's on the phone. Barrows, I got to look at his face. That's something problematic sometimes. But there they are, the uh, Athletics 49ers writers after a... Very, very interesting season, interesting game, and interesting presser yesterday from Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. It's Matt Barros and David Lombardi. Guys, uh, I'll just go Barros first. We got a little uh, grouchy Kyle uh, yesterday. I think we all remarked about it. We all kind of made references to it. What do you think that signifies, that that Shanahan was pretty blunt, very blunt with Jimmy Garoppolo's future? I didn't expect that. Uh, and, And terse on a whole lot of other issues. What did that mean? Yeah, I mean, um, as guys who have been covering him for, what, six seasons now, I can tell you, he gets uh, a little tense um, on two occasions. One, whenever anyone sort of questions his X's and O's acumen, he sort of fires back in those circumstances. And then, two, when anyone suggests that he's putting his quarterbacks Mm -hmm. in harm's way. And we saw that in really week one. I was asking him questions about how – uh, Trey Lance was running the ball quite a bit, taking a lot of hits in Chicago, and he didn't like those questions at all. Uh, and so yesterday we got we got both of those, basically. So, um, you know, it, it didn't surprise me that he sort of tensed up and, and, and did what he usually does. I think that there are legitimate questions. Um, you know, th- this is a team that was left with zero quarterbacks, zero quarterbacks at the end of the season. So that's that's going to be a question. Uh, nobody should be surprised that uh, those types of questions are being asked. I, I agreed with him in the sense that those were four different types of plays. Um, so there's really no rhyme or reason. Um, but, um, you know, that's, you know, we, we've seen that before. Um, at the end of the season, he's, he's haggard. I mean, his voice isn't quite as strong. Uh, he looks thin even back in 2017 when he was hired. I remember John Lynch commenting that, oh, we got to get this guy, you know, in the kitchen, put some weight on him because he wears himself down. I mean, he puts everything into um, being the head coach of this team. So, um, you know, uh, that's uh, that's the guy that we were looking at. Not a surprise. We've seen that guy before um, at the end of the season. David, your sense of kind of the, the energy in that presser? Yeah, I mean, it think about how devastating that loss was in a different way. They found, and this goes before Shanahan, the playoff exits going back to the Harbaugh era for this franchise have been a different kind of twist of the knife every single time, right? You go back to Kyle Williams in 2011 and then the Super Bowl in 12. And then, you know, ever since Shanahan and Lynch have taken over, there have been these heartbreaking exits of a different variety every single year. And this one might have taken the cake it was different at least but they 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 just felt and this is how the 49ers truly feel that they felt robbed of a true chance to to win the nfc championship game you know this was lining up to be a titanic matchup between the two best teams in the conference and then the 49ers played a whole half without 
a QB. Uh, they obviously think that this was coincidental bad luck, and uh, it really, really hurt Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. You could tell that both of them, especially Kyle, though, up there, were just, just got it. And this was only, what, two or three days after the loss. So I think that that really colored uh, a lot of the mood in there. And, um, you know, they have to do this end-of-season press conference. I'm not sure how long uh, th- they would have had to wait to, to have some of that wear off. It's probably going to take a month or so for them to be able to get back. Yeah, the yeah, oh. combine, the uh, owners' meetings. We'll see where Kyle's uh, state of his, that, yeah. his his exhaustion is. But it was. I just thought it was funny that Lynch was even kind of commenting within it. You know, Kyle, we need to get up some rest here. You know, Kyle pours everything into this. He was kind of like you know editorializing, like yeah, trying to guide us. Like yeah, this some of these answers. We'll see what it is. But I also think obviously they got the quarterback situation uh, and. I mean, that's obviously got, that's the first thing they've got to deal with. What did you get out of that from what they're saying? What did you get out of that from the locker room? Where, what are they going to do, quarterback? Barrows? I mean, um, you go back to, to last year, and uh, you know, this time last year, they were fully intending for Trey Lance to be the guy. He was the guy throughout the spring, got really good uh, um, uh, appraisal for how he kind of conducted himself, ran the offense in, in the spring, and then in the summer. So they went into the the season with him, expecting to go to the playoffs with Trey Lance as their quarterback. So um, they have that again this year. Plus, they've got Brock Purdy, the guy who's proven that he can be a uh, a playoff winning quarterback. So they're I feel like they're in a stronger position than they were a year ago. Even though sort of the 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 sense that people have is that they're in a weak spot and that they, that they need this big name uh, veteran to come in and sort of save the day. But um, I'm one of those people. You're one of those people. Right. You and I don't quite see it um, eye to eye. But I I go back to August when we really started to hear Brock Purdy's name being mentioned um, as a guy who could overtake Nate Sudfeld for the number two job. Obviously, Kyle was seeing something in Purdy at that point that really encouraged him. And I can only imagine that that instinct that he had about Brock Purdy only grew stronger throughout the uh, the regular season in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that's that's Kyle's guy. That's the guy. That's his Kirk Cousins now. The, the guy that he's, uh, he's always going to be fond of and believes in because the 49ers were able to kind of see something that no other team saw. And so I think that's, uh, you know, that's what, uh, that's what the 49ers uh, – uh, core is right now this uh, Brock Purdy with uh, now Trey Lance as the as the number two guy going into the season. I'll let you go here, David, but I'll say yeah, both guys who are currently injured. So uh, I, I just can't believe yeah. you'd go into a season after losing four court, running out of quarterbacks in the NFC Championship game and saying you know what, let's go with two currently injured quarterbacks. So go ahead, David. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, what four days ago uh, they were I think in the shape that they wanted to be. Two guys on rookie deals, uh, ability to pay the rest of the roster, and a lot of belief in, in Brock Birdie because he was healthy. And the NFC Championship game obviously has put them in, in much worse position. Now, how dire it is will depend on how quickly Brock Birdie can not only return, but return uh, at, at full strength. So, And that's what seems to be in limbo right now. The Fort Anders are expressing optimism that he could be fully ready to go in six months if that's the case he'll be back for training camp that'll be good and they you know they've invested so much in the quarterback position it's funny because they found purdy for that really cheap price of the final pick of uh, of the seventh round uh, but 
for Trey Lance, they, they, they poured so much into him, all those first round picks, all that draft capital, um, that at some point, you know, you do have to get a return on your investment. And maybe if they don't get the return on investment in Lance, that's where the whole Purdy thing working out might've bailed out the 49ers. But at some point you can't just expect to be able to go and get outside veteran help and have it carry you through a season. I think they got really lucky this past year that Jimmy Garoppolo was available and, you know, Shanahan shooting down that notion this year was, I think, implicit acknowledgement that they're not going to be able to back into a starting caliber veteran that could actually, you know, lead this team to a bunch of wins uh, two years in a row that they would have to get really lucky for that. So one of these two guys is going to have to work out based on how much the 49ers have invested in, in these two, especially in Lance, maybe Purdy, does get healthy in time and everything's good. But as of right now, they've got a role with Lance in the off season, get him as ready as possible, just in case it doesn't work out with Brock Purdy. I think that'd be crazy. I'm going to say right now, I think that'd be crazy. And I just don't think that's what they're going to do. Now I'm not saying they got to get Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they would, I think they've got to get somebody who can start six games and, or, or yeah, just draft who's another, that gonna yeah, be? Bridgewater. Or? Yeah. You know, yeah. Jacoby Brissett, like there's guys and none of them are, are, are wonderful names, but just do what Jimmy did, you know, or slightly worse. Just yeah, distribute exactly. the ball. And, and yeah. they, they will get somebody like that, of course. Uh, I just don't think they could go upper tier guy because they can't fit that into their cost structure yeah. without losing players on the other end, right? So they have to yeah. find somebody that fits in that category. They, they would have thought about it. keeping Garoppolo before the Purdy thing happened. So who knows? There's ways you can fit it. But yeah, they got a lot of, lot as, as Lynch said, they got a lot of high priced players and they're going to have more. Uh, the Garoppolo thing, links, even in Kyle, edgy, bitey Kyle, the like, w- there's no scenario I see bringing it back. That was way, way sharper than it had to be. Uh, was there any kind of backstory to that, Barrow? See any sense of why, why didn't you just say, you know what, Jimmy was great. We really appreciated him. He's won a lot of games for us, and we're going to move on. Why not say that? Why say, no, I don't see anything. He's gone. And, I mean, that seemed way, way out of left field to me. Yeah, well, you you know the background with with Jimmy Garoppolo being sort of uh, you know uh, hard to reach at, at times <laughs> during the off season. You know, not uh, not in the kind of the 49ers orbit uh, once the season ends. And and by the way, he peeled out of the the parking lot as soon as the uh, the locker room opened up for reporters on on Tuesday. Uh, you know, Lance spoke to reporters for the first time all season, and then. The whole gaggle kind of went across the locker room to talk to Brock Purdy, um, who is in pain uh, with a, a torn elbow ligament and kind of doing uh, his due diligence as the starter. Garoppolo, out of there! And uh, I don't know. I, I, I wonder whether that uh, rubbed uh, Shanahan the wrong way. Not not that he did anything. How dare covers, you blow just, off the media? How dare you? <laughs> no, but it's just kind of the last suggests, thing I will uh, ever tolerate. It suggests, uh, you know, how he how he operates. But I mean, the the, the bottom line is that, um, as I said before, the 49ers ended the season with zero quarterbacks. I'm just going to stress that again: zero quarterbacks. And um, you know, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has been the poster boy for the quarterback injuries. I mean, yep. we could go down the list. It would take about an hour to to do it. I mean, they just could not rely on this guy to be healthy. Uh, since signing him to that big deal in early in 2018, so uh, I think that's the the root of the frustration. You just you can't rely on him. This is a team with all sorts of quarterback in- injuries. There's no way that we can bring back the king of the quarterback injuries yeah. for the upcoming season. And when you do talk about yeah. like what what Kyle, what can you do to 
make sure your quarterbacks stay healthy. And yeah, the honest answer is don't play Jimmy Garoppolo anymore. And you know, again, yeah. but I'm just saying he did win a lot of games and he bailed them out this season. And that was a brush off of all brush offs. David, you wrote about Drake Jackson uh, this morning. Uh, Kyle gave a pretty, as typically does, even when he's blunt, he gave a very interesting answer, basically saying he wasn't strong enough. He was a college player who hit a wall. But I, it seemed to me there was also like emphasis on strength, on power. He didn't, he, he didn't have a whole lot of inside moves as a rookie. He had some interesting things. I mean, is that just it? Drake Jackson got to get stronger. Do you think there's still like he, he could he be an idea to be that bookend defensive end with Nick Bosa? Is, is that still out there? Well, he's 21 years old. I think we got to keep that in mind. He's he's still young, and there you need some man strength. And I think when they talk about power, they're talking about ability to to man up against the run. If if your liability against that on the field, especially as the season drags on, because Drake he'd previously played a max of 11 games at USC. So this is a 20 game season. If as it turns into playoff time and a lot of these teams are trying to wear you down with the run, uh, if you're a liability there, then that compromises everybody else's ability to rush the passer because you're constantly in bad down and distant situations as a, as a defense. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that was very thinly veiled code for, he's got to get stronger and not be a, a, a liability uh, against that ground game. And I think that the fact that, Jackson's 21 years old. The fact that he was really productive for a rookie over the first six or seven games this season, uh, you know, he was way more productive than somebody like Solomon Thomas, who I think really early on, you could tell he just didn't have the physical potential to do what, what needed to be done at that edge position in the NFL. And they started shuffling him between outside and inside. I think Drake Jackson clearly has the bend, clearly has the arm length, clearly has some of that talent that, that you know, it's like moldable clay that the 49ers can work with. But um, it has to be developed and he's got to put in the work. And I think, you know, Shanahan's answer was so pointed uh, because in, in a way, I think he was trying to send a little bit of a message. And I'm sure he sent that message to Drake Jackson in his exit interview as well. What happens in the next six or seven months is going to be really important uh, because if the 49ers can get a decent bookend out of him, that, that can completely uh, take this defense to even another level because look, th- their secondary and their linebackers were excellent this year, especially in that Eagles game. I know Greenlaw didn't have his best game, but the, the secondary, they held A.J. Brown and uh, Devontae Smith, the two corners, the two starting corners, the two catches for, I think, like 16 yards. It's the defensive line that uh, hasn't been as good as it was in 2019. Bosa's been better, but th- they haven't had that kind of firepower that they did in 19. And so if they could start finding bookends to Bosa, uh, you know, they need another interior pass rusher, that's for sure. They haven't gotten anything from from that group outside of Eric Armstead. If they can find that, then this defense can maybe even take another step next year. So there's a lot riding on Drake Jackson's uh, shoulders. This is a big picture. I think that clearly the first order of business is replaced to Mick Ryan's at, at defense coordinator. Vic Fangio is a name that we all were familiar with. He just, I think, finally formally agreed. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center 
Twitter anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. With the Miami Dolphins, after some questions about that, I'm sure the 49ers were involved in that. Uh, Barrows, you got a sense of where they go, Steve Wilkes. Uh, Vance Joseph would be very interesting if he doesn't get a head coaching job. Former 49er assistant. A lot of former 49ers assistants bouncing around out there, Barrows. Who are you thinking, like, okay, that really could work for these guys? It was clear from Shanahan's press conference that he doesn't want to change much with, no. with the defense. And it's... Uh, it's a great point. And they've been running the same system. Basically, it's that, that Pete Carroll system that Robert Sala brought in with him um, back in 2017. And then, of course, it, it changed a little bit when they brought in Chris Kacerik to run the wide nine. And then D'Amico Ryans added his own elements to it. But it's been the same system. And that's what's enabled this team um, to play fast. I mean, um, Fred Warner's been in it since 2018. Jimmy Ward's been in it since 2017. Uh, Nick Bosa's been in it since 2019. These guys are well-versed. Nobody wants to start over. I wonder whether that was part of the the, the Vic Fangio uh, calculus. Um, you know, I, I think three, Fangio— 3-4 guy, guy, yeah, mostly. You know. Yeah, 3-4 guy. And, and, and Vic Fangio, <laughs> he's not someone who's going to come in and sort of uh, agree to all sorts of different changes. Vic Fangio's very proud of his system. My God, his, his system is used by 10 teams in the league— including the Eagles. So it's obviously very effective. So, I mean, my point uh, is that I think that they want to go with somebody who has uh, a background in this system. Um, I was surprised today, Josina Anderson reported that Chris Kacerik is uh, being uh, considered for it. And uh, I, I never thought that he was interested in being a defensive coordinator. At some point, I was thinking, it just slyly, I know, Fred Warner is going to have a lot of say in this defense, right? I mean, Fred calls it, like, I'm not saying he's calling the signals, but I think a lot of this is like, yeah, you know what, Fred, help us decide what we want to do here, because he is such a huge leader. That's just a little drip in my mind here. Let's do something real quick. Uh, the 49ers voted on their own awards. I might have some other ideas for award titles. I don't want to surprise you. These will not be trick ones. But uh, David Lombardi, let's do a team MVP. Who would you say is the 49ers team, team MVP this season? Uh, Nick Bosa. Nick yep. Bosa, yeah. I mean, he, they, they, they really needed him because, uh, like I just said, the, the rest of the defensive line was slightly underwhelming compared to what they've had before. If they didn't have Bosa then uh, that, that could have fallen apart really quickly. So uh, I think he's, he was the heartbeat of this defense and, by extension, the heartbeat of this team. Barros? Yeah, uh, Bosha, um, Christian McCaffrey, I thought that he had an outside yeah, chance yeah. of winning one of those two awards, which would have been really interesting considering the guy got here in mid-October. Uh, but uh, talk about somebody who you know, not only contributed, and the, the numbers suggest that, I think he scored touchdowns in nine straight games, but he really was part of that that culture, the the Shanahan-Bosa-Warner uh, culture that uh, uh, th- this team has. His locker was right next to George Kittle's. Um, it was just a very, very easy fit from jump. And so um, I think that's, you know, you talk about, you know, positive things going into the future off of this, you know, awful way to end the season for them. 
Boy, uh, Christian McCaffrey is uh, is is one A on that list. All right. Yeah. Uh, who would who would? Okay, Barris, I'll start with you. Who would be your under the radar best player? Under the radar best player. I mean. Um, this will be interesting for the 49ers because I thought uh, this is interesting on a num- number of levels. But uh, Jimmy Ward was consistently good uh, in these playoff games. And um, he was good at, at nickel cornerback. And uh, I, I think that the 49ers made the right decision when they went with the, a safety duo of Hufanga into Sean Gibson. And they made um, and they made Ward the nickel. Ward didn't like that. Ward is a every down player in, in his own mind. Um, but I just wonder whether for Jimmy Ward, where he is in his career, are we talking about longevity? How many more years uh, he can get? Um, I forget how old he is. Thirty one, thirty two. That might be the best decision for him to kind of accept a uh, a nickel role. I mean, it's a huge. Huge, huge role. He plays it well. He's perfectly made for it. Uh, but uh, I thought his last two games against the Cowboys, against the Eagles, were two of his best of the season. It must say what they think about Gibson, right? I mean, they make sure he they sign him late in camp, and then he's the starter, and Jimmy Ward's moved out of a position. I just I, I didn't see great things out of Gibson, but they must really like him. David, sorry, I cut you off. Who's your uh, under-the-radar guy? It, well, it, it's funny, Jimmy Ward. I don't know if you, you two saw him come on Instagram Live the other day, and he was telling stories about the season. And he said that initially he was resistant to Shanahan putting him at, at nickel or the defense putting him at nickel, and he complained to Shanahan. And Shanahan said, "Do you want to ride the bench?" That was Shanahan's response. Right. So uh, he kind of cornered him into playing that nickel spot. But Ward did grow to embrace it. The funny thing is, there's like a there's a cost inefficiency that are about pay inefficiency there. I think nickelbacks are extremely important, becoming more important by the year. I mean, Cooper cup lines up in the slot more than anywhere else. And he might be the best in the game and nickelbacks are paid a lot less than outside corners and a lot less than safeties. So it's one reason why Ward, uh, you know, was initially hesitant to make the, the switch in a contract year. So, you know, as far as, as far as that goes, I, I definitely agree that, that he's one of the truly underrated guys on this football team. If I had to go, the offensive side of the ball, though, uh, talk about an underrated player there, uh, Jawan Jennings. You know, he Good. it's going to be, I mean, he, he just has that number three receiver role has taken such a step up in terms of uh, the toughness aspect, run blocking, and obviously he makes a bunch of big third down catches, which is what you need from that position. But I think that mentality wise, having somebody like him that knows how to get under an opponent's skin uh, without, you know, drawing a flag on himself. Uh, that's that's really important, and to me, that's been a big reversal for him because he had attitude issues in college. I mean, he suspended for his last college game because he had stepped on some guy's face in a in a post play altercation. So the fact that Jennings has been able to rein that in and be the guy that antagonizes but doesn't cross that line and and turn into that physical player the 49ers need, uh, th- I think that was a big big deal for their offense that that isn't talked about enough. I'll go one more uh, most disappointing player. We can't be all positive here. David, uh, who would be your most dis- disappointing 49er? Hmm. That's a good question here. Let's think. I'm thinking on the – I got Wait, one. I had a good – Yeah. Who do you have? I'm, I'm thinking. 99. Who's would be my, 99, Javon Kinlaw. I Kinlaw, mean, yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That, that, that has to be. It has to be Javon Kinlaw. Uh, just because he's a first-round draft pick, right? So – uh, regardless of the reason of why he, he's he's underperformed, and I think a lot of it is the knee. I think people I talked to 
when he was out, they were really skeptical about him coming back. And they said, you know, even if he does come back, it's going to be hard for him to anchor. And we saw that against the, the, the Eagles. I mean, he's playing on a, a knee that he constantly is swelling up with fluid. And that's a huge deal for a guy that's that big, right? 320 pounds has to kind of plant his, his, his legs in the ground and, and hold, hold his ground. If that knee is just constantly swelling and there's fluid and all that, that's, that's going to be tough. So I agree with you that that would have to be the, the most disappointing player for the 49ers. Barros? Yeah, um, he's, he's leggy. He's got long legs. And um, it's hard for somebody with that um, kind of profile, that silhouette, to uh, get low. I mean, that's what he needs to learn how to do. And, and boy, the Eagles um, were just picking on him. They, they, they saw something in the previous games, and, and they attacked it. And uh, it was, it was uh, uh, startling to watch. It was stark. He was being driven, um, you know, five, six, seven yards on some of these double team blocks. And anytime that happens, obviously, um, that's a big gain for the Eagles. Uh, the other guy who comes to mind is, is Samson Ebucom. Um, and he had a, a fine season. I, I forget what his sack total was, David. Was it six and a half uh, by, by the end of the season, which is, which is good, which is really good. But yeah, I think I when you're lining up opposite Nick Bosa and the other team is – uh, throwing the kitchen sink at Nick Bosa to stop him. That that other guy has to have something. I think that the 49ers defense, and, and David was touching on this earlier, can go from extremely good, which it was this year, to really elite and overpowering if they had somebody on that other edge spot. Um, and I don't know who that person is. It's not, it's not going to be a... Uh, a chock full position in free agency, and they don't—they're not picking at this point until late, late in the third round. So uh, I'm not sure who that person is, but I feel like that's a, a major area that they could kind of instantly—it it would be the, um, the 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 same as adding Charvarius Ward this this past season. You add somebody like that to that other edge spot, all of a sudden, I think your defense gets even better. Um, uh, and, you know, Ebucom is a free agent. All the t- other defensive ends are basically free agents besides Trey Jackson. So uh, it's something that they're going to have to add at some point. Um, I just wonder whether that's going to be their marquee spot that they target in free agency. All right. All right, let's uh, end this with a version of the question I asked. Everybody, guys, uh, I'll go Barrows first. What's your favorite movie right now? Well, my favorite movie of all time is uh, Last of the Mohicans. Oh, yes, from, yeah. It's Michael Mann. I'm a, I'm a Michael Mann guy, but I've been going through his his body of work. And, um, you know, there's just so many just excellent, excellent movies. The one underrated one that uh, nobody seems to like is Miami Vice, which I suggest that people watch with the closed captioning on because it's everybody sort of mumbles their way through it. There are lots of different, it's a, a very eclectic film. There are lots of different accents, uh, foreign actors and stuff like that. So it's hard to follow. But once you realize what's going on, it's, it's, uh, it's so much better. So that's a great one. Um, the Insider is a great one. Um, Thief, which is one of his very, very early ones, um, is is terrific too. So uh, I would I would check out the uh, the Michael Mann collection. Oh, Manhunter! If you haven't seen Manhunter, no. um, it's about uh, basically it's the Hannibal Lecter story, but it's done so much better than the uh, the the updated uh, versions of it that have been out. 
Uh, so uh, those are those are if you're thinking of Barrows movies, those are Barrows movies. Have you read his novel Heat Two? It's actually very good. Michael Mann wrote a novel. He, it was basically a sequel and prequel to Heat the movie. So I have not. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that, I think if that would be if you're that stuff. It, it's really good. All right, David, what's your favorite movie? Old fashioned stem, not that old fashioned. About twenty years. It's a it's a classic though. Gladiator. No. Once I saw Gladiator in theaters for the first time, I haven't seen anything that had me. I was actively cheering for for the protagonist for Maximus there, you know, as he was fighting at the end. I was you know, I was nervous that he was going to lose. So I, I haven't had a movie ever grip me uh, the way that, that that movie did. And I'm a big history guy, and I love Roman history and and all that. And it's actually it's actually a true story, not not fully. Uh, there was actually an emperor Commodus who uh, was crazy and decided to challenge gladiators to fights in in the Colosseum. So. Um, I Gladiator is at the top for me, and until I see something that beats it, it's going to stay at the top of my favorite movie list. Barrow's got something. Well, um, I didn't know that, David, but I, I was thinking Gladiator during the championship game mm. because after the 49ers scored that, that touchdown, and it looked like they were going to kind of rise up, and despite all of the uh, things going against them, that they were going to win that game. It reminded me of that final scene in Gladiator where – the uh, the awful emperor stabs Maximus yeah. right before their fight, and Maximus still kicks his ass. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that the 49ers were going to pull off a, a bloody Maximus finale here in the championship. Of course, uh, in in our case, Maximum dies. <laughs> really, yeah, the a really evil, gruesome death. The evil so emperor the same, uh, still but, reigns. Yeah. So, uh, that, that's I too had Gladiator on the brain on on Sunday. Tim, what about yours? What's your favorite movie? You know, I always say To Kill a Mockingbird. It's super, super old, but man, oh, I love it's I great. love the book. I love the Gregory Peck. I love every the black and white, every bit of it uh, of it. I love so uh, it's it's. I keep saying it. I want a new one. There are various others. Uh, I, I watch so much TV now. The Last of Us, by the way, I have recommend this. The Last of Us, the last episode was. Unbelievable. Like, I almost rewatched it immediately after I saw it. It was that good just to catch the little subtleties in it. Uh, but I would say I'm still going to go with To Kill a Mockingbird. It just, just blows me away every time. I, mean, I rewatch it, I rewatch it, and every time I'm, I get chills at, at certain moments. So. Yeah, that's how you know a movie is great. You watch it that many times, and it gives you that, that feeling. Yep. Yep. I mean, every time the Gladiator comes on, I come across it on cable or something. I'm watching. I mean, I'm at least watching 30 minutes of it. You can't, you know, you just it just absorbs you with it, with the way the, the action and, and the artistry of it. So great, yeah. great stuff, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. You've been busy. You guys are not as edgy and not as uh, snarly as Kyle Shanahan. I do appreciate that. Sometimes you can be. I'm going to point that out. Sometimes you can be. Maybe after that six and a half hour flight that we all took back from Philadelphia. But Otherwise, we're all good. Guys, thank you so much. Good to have you on the show. All right, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. All right, guys. That's the show for today. 